Father, open our hearts to hear the word. Open our spiritual eyes to see you and to see what you have for us in 2020. We thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. I appreciate that God has arranged it, that we have a calendar year called 2020, which works for this nifty sermon title, 2020 Vision. That's cool, isn't it? Don't you think? Um, and then as soon as I said it, Rose said to me, ah, somebody else already said that. She had heard it on some podcast or something. So it didn't originate with me, but it is cool. 2020 vision. How many know what 2020 vision actually is? Yeah, some. Oh, Brenda Wood with too many eye appointments. Yes, and I expect Michael is the same. Um, 2020 vision is a measurement of people's clarity of vision so that the norm, it doesn't mean perfect because there are people with better than 2020 vision, right? But if, if someone said they had 2100 vision, that would mean that they see at 20 feet what most would see at 100 feet. Not good. But 2020 is the norm. You see at 20 feet what 20 other people see. No, what most people See, that's the norm right there. So it doesn't mean perfect uh, because people can have other issues with their eyes. Rose happens to work at the eye care center at Vancouver General Hospital. She told me, has told me over the years some interesting things about the eye that are just, to me, uh, signposts of the extraordinariness of God. She told me years ago, and she checks people's visual fields, uh, checking for glaucoma and different things like this. And she talked about true tunnel vision, which I know there's another name for it, but I forget what it is. But that some people have very little peripheral vision and only. But then she told me that there are other people because of certain issues, they can't All they can see is sort of what's on the outside and not in the center. But she said, everyone has a blind spot, but your brain fills it in. We're not aware of it. It's there, but our brains... Am I saying that correctly enough? I know that's not the way the ophthalmologists at at the uh, eye care center would put it, but everyone's got a blind spot. And I thought, well, now that sounds about right, doesn't it? Uh, every person has got that. And our brain sort of fills it in so that we're not really aware of it. Uh, However, that test, uh, the tests that Rose does, it shows it up where it is and that kind of thing. And in some cases, it's a very sad thing. But our vision is really, really valuable. Amen? I mean, next week I want to... read to you a list of idioms that have to do with uh, our vision, how we use that for so many things, how that relates to so much. I was thinking this week as I was preparing, uh, there's a singer, he would be getting older now, uh, Stevie Wonder, most of you have heard of him. He had a song out in the late 70s called Isn't She Lovely? And it didn't really dawn on me. It was about his daughter. It didn't really dawn on me that this was a man. I'm not even sure if Stevie Wonder was born blind, but I know he was blind from a very young age. 
uh, I think he was, and he wrote a song about his daughter called Isn't She Lovely? And I, I hadn't really realized that here he's singing about his little girl that he's never actually visually seen. But, you know, he's, he's talking about how love could create one so special, one so lovely and precious to him. And I thought, wow, what a world that he, you know, you know the thing, uh, people who are blind and they'll feel someone's face and can recognize them uh, that way and that kind of thing. That he would only know his daughter, not visually, but he, he does know her visually in another sense, right? There's something he has something in his heart. And God speaks in his word about our spiritual eyes. In Ephesians 1.18, and we're not going to park there today, but he talks about, Paul is saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, or some translations say enlightened, that light might come. Uh, because when Jesus in another place in uh, the book of John heals a blind man, right afterward he talks about, I'm the light of the world because this man has been in the dark his whole life and Jesus uh, healed him and brought him into the world of light and he got to see things. So these incredible things, There's I want for this year, I don't want to stay the same, I want to go forward and I want to see what God has for us, for me and for us. I want to see it because I can't believe that this is it. That this, what I am and what I have experienced and where I've been, and it's, I can't believe that's it, that God has more. And I believe he wants to give us vision. Vision can take us forward. Uh, forward in God, in Christ. In fact, we need to have vision. This whole book is giving us a vision of the living God. Interestingly, a study of the word vision, when God talks about a vision, often, 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 when he speaks to someone about a vision, it says, these are the words of the vision. Or a vision came to Moses and God spoke. It's like it almost always in the Bible, a vision has to do with God speaking. It has to do with words. Even when uh, Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. And God passed in front of him. He said, you can't see it all. You wouldn't be able to take it. And it says, I'm the Lord. And he spoke. He proclaimed something to him. There's, it's an interesting thing that vision and hearing God's word go together. That's only natural with who the Lord is. So today, I want us to read this passage. Uh, the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. We could back up, but we're, we won't do it today. Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind 
to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I feel like uh, just a couple of months ago when we were doing John 17, I was saying the same thing that Jesus stood up and said, this is it. The hour has come. The fulfillment has arrived. And that was at the very end of his life. Now here, fairly early in his ministry, this three, three and a half year period, Jesus stands up, reads this word in the synagogue. Now this is in Nazareth. And there were synagogues. These popped up uh, all over Judea. And wherever there were, you know, any number of Jewish people, they could have a synagogue. And they would have, which was kind of like, uh, it wasn't quite the same as a church. It would be like having a community center where they also had church. It was a gathering place for everything cultural for the Jews. But they would also have their sort of what we would think of, their service there on the Sabbath. And they had a few things in the service, kind of like we do. Routinely, we get together, we sing. There's usually some element of prayer. There's usually some element of the word. There's, you know, a fellowship where people are connecting. In the synagogue, it was similar. There were prayers. There were a couple of readings, uh, both from the book of the law and from the prophets, sometimes from the other writings, like the Psalms, that kind of thing. And there was some kind of a sermon. Now, this is probably... Uh, edited down to just, here's the highlight of what happened on the day, because probably uh, Jesus spoke more than just what you see here, because it even says they were astounded, if you read on, at the gracious words coming from him. But this thing was, this was typical that someone who they deemed qualified could get up and do the reading and give the word. In the synagogue, it wasn't that there was just one person in this place. So Jesus is back home. He's in his hometown. These people know who he is. They would have had some sense of his manner of life, which is quite incredible again to think that they'd have known, you know, this guy has always been uh, an upstanding young man. They would have known that. However, This would be another thing again to come in to read the words of the prophet from somewhere about 700 years prior to this day, seven centuries, and to stand up and say something as powerful as this, today this is fulfilled. Uh, Say what? (laughs) The, The carpenter's son says this is it? You know, this is all being fulfilled. I I thought those words were reserved for the Messiah. (laughs) And, you know, sure, he's a great guy and all. But, you know, the Messiah, which is sort of funny. Like, we're waiting for him, but we don't really kind of expect. I mean, have we ever seen anybody like him? No, but still, Messiah's got to be something extraordinary Beyond this, he's going to come, you know, uh, you know, maybe on a white steed and everything will be glorious. And he'll, no, this guy, this is a carpenter's son and he's come back and he's, 
He's an upstanding guy, but he speaks these words. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The New Living uh, Translation says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And from that day on, they would see its fulfillment in Jesus' interactions with common people. And they had already heard about it. Some say this was already about a year into Jesus' ministry. Because they've heard about what he's been doing in Capernaum and this kind of thing. So now he's come back home. But now they're beginning to see the fulfillment of these things. Like actually visually see it in his interactions with common people. Over and over and over. You go through the Gospels and it says, and then they brought the sick to him after they had a meal. And he healed them all. And he goes out and he's preaching in the streets and he's preaching on the side of the mountain and he's preaching on the plateau and he's preaching in the synagogue and he's preaching in Solomon's porch in the temple. And everywhere he goes, he's proclaiming this good news to the people that God is ready to reconcile them to himself. But they're seeing him do this now among common people to do these extraordinary things that he mentions here. Proclaim the good news, set captives free, recovery of sight to the blind, free the downtrodden for common people. I heard somebody say once, God must really love common people because there's, that's mostly what there is. He didn't just come for the theologians, which he makes perfectly uh, he reveals and demonstrates where the ones who thought they were the religious elite were actually the ones that Jesus rebuffed more than anybody else. But the common people, even with their stuff, even with their baggage, they come to him and they got embraced. He even said, prostitutes and tax gatherers are going to come to the banquet and get in before you. What? That's scandalous. But here's what, that's what Jesus does. He comes among the common people. His closest followers were common people. He spent his time with common people. Um, that's also who he loved and healed and preached to and died for all the time. All, of course, the overwhelming majority of people around him, just like the overwhelming majority of people around us, are normal, common people. Amen? You're just not surrounded by who you'd call extraordinary. Corinthians even talks about that. There were not many noble, not many of this, not many of that. doesn't say any. But many, many, many are these common people. That's why the gospel has spread like a, like a brush fire in China. A, you know, over a billion common people. And the, the gospel is spreading there. But what's common to my natural sight and ours often when we just take a superficial glance and we think, oh, common people, we see a big crowd, we think common. Each one of those is someone distinct and valuable in God's sight. Kind of like the, I hate to use the term snowflakes because now it's been used to describe people who are too fragile, but every one of them they say is different. Well, I don't know if you saw any photos from what just happened in Newfoundland, but that means a lot of distinct snowflakes because, boy, it's piled up to the roofs of their homes. Like, there's a lot of it. I don't know how they actually know that every one of them is different because, I mean, you think 
in the North Pole, there's a lot of them. There could be some duplicates in there that nobody knows about. You know, uh, how can they go through them? There's a lot of them. But people, everyone is distinct. No two are exactly alike, right? No two people exactly alike. And look at what common people look like here from what Jesus reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden. It's interesting that the common people Jesus came to heal are, uh, he's recognizing them by the things, by their weaknesses, by their challenges. It's an interesting thing that those things don't um, mean rejection from God. They actually are the thing that attracts God to bring salvation. One theologian, in fact, a theologian that lives in our city, once said, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin from which we're saved. That's our contribution. God looks and says, oh, Brenda, he knows her by her sin. He knows her by more than that, of course. But her sin is the only thing she contributed to that salvation. God looks and doesn't say, oh, no, oh, wait, I, a sinner. i got to look for a good one. Oh, no, two, one. Oh, sorry. Oh, our, uh, no. Uh, you know, <laughs> there, there are none. There are none. The common people with weaknesses and foibles and failures. We were singing about it already. The poor, the blind, all of these people. But back to the fulfillment of these words which were spoken by Isaiah. All this time earlier. And here's Jesus now. The people are beginning to see him do these works. They've heard about him. In fact, if you back up, it says in verse 15, he began teaching in their synagogues. This is in Galilee, not in Nazareth yet. Well, Nazareth is in Galilee, but he was going about and he's doing all of these things. And it says, um, or no, sorry, verse 14. News about him spread through all the surrounding district. The word, the Greek word actually means a rumor. A rumor was spreading. These things are happening. This is this guy's doing this. He's healing the blind. He's, He's healing the lepers. He's doing all of these kinds of things. They see all of this. Jesus is doing this. They're seeing him do these great works for their neighbors, for their family members, for, for their own selves. Amen. Jesus is crisscrossing Judea while he's crisscrossing Judea. Uh, it was normal for them to see someone healed. Someone set free from demonic oppression. And they'd gasp. Oh, he actually has authority over these spirits. All of these kinds of things. Common sinners presented with the good news were responding to it. Common people. Tax collectors. They were shunned. Prostitutes. They were shunned. But not by him. They're hearing the good news. That God is actively pursuing reconciliation with them. That he's the initiator of it. If he wasn't the initiator, we would be finished. Amen? If God didn't initiate that reconciliation, we'd be finished. So what does that tell us about him? Back to vision. It tells me that we've got a big God. Bigger 
than what I'm typically aware of day to day. This tells me God is significantly bigger than I've been able to take in thus far. Which is a significant aspect of healthy vision. A a big view of God means a big view of salvation, big trust, big life, big hope, big joy. A small God means maybe he'll come through, maybe he won't. If I'm seeing him. Do you know these things? I, I think of this because this word is all through the scriptures. Magnify the Lord with me. It doesn't mean we actually make him bigger. What does it mean? It means, yeah, it means we see him more as he is. Like if you use a telescope, you're looking at something huge, what? Way in the distance, but it brings it closer and it magnifies us, magnifies it. If you're looking through a microscope, you're looking at something that is tiny, but it magnifies it so you can actually see what it is. With God, we look and he's, he is great, he is big, but somehow we don't always see it. So in magnifying him just means he's brought into focus, brought into view so that we see how great he is, how magnificent he is, how grand he is. He already is what he is. I just need help with my vision actually seeing him as he is. Bigger, stronger, more abundantly good, more abundantly able, and so forth. He already is what he is. Tell somebody, God is big. Whether I know it or not. He is. My vision, my ability to see, only allows me to perceive him as he is. I want my vision to be adjusted, to be better than it's ever been. Without these, without glasses, everything's kind of a blur to me. If I do this, because I already know you, uh, I can see certain things. And my eyes aren't as bad as some, but they're, they're pretty bad. I, uh, it's not safe for me to drive without these. But I look now, and everyone in here is just blurry. I can see your form. I can see that you're still very good looking. But I can't see any details. Like even when you smile now, I can't see it. But what you are and what you're doing, you are whether I'm seeing it or not. And that's how it is with God. I might not see him that clearly, but he already is what he is. I'm just doing this to sort of get clarity. It brings him into focus. And there are these, so these are really important. These lenses enable my eyes to see what you actually look like. They give me something closer to 2020 vision. I don't even know what mine would be. I, I don't know. They don't tell me those kind of numbers. But without this, it's like it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Paul says, we are currently seeing dimly like in a mirror. It's kind of like we're looking into foggy glass without this. And it's like, this is kind of how God is to us right now. Our spiritual eyes are kind of like my myopic eyes. They don't see very clearly because he's a little bit 
beyond my scope. And I'm not really seeing him that clearly. But there are ways that I do this so that spiritually, ah, oh, so that's a little more what he's like. I tell you, I've been living with these things since I was in grade seven. And I'm envious of people that wake up in the morning and can see out their window and they actually can see distinct things. I'm like, well, <laughs> the sky is out there, I can tell that. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm jealous. I look over at my alarm clock and I do this. And then, it, you know, you can see. I can kind of see the numbers. But it, and I've been doing it since I was seven years old. My sister and I had this thing, this game we played. We went into a dark closet. She was 15 months older than me. A dark closet. And we're on our knees like this in front of each other. How kids think of these things, I don't know. And we would be right up close to each other. And it's pitch black in the closet. And we had three tries to poke each other in the eye. (laughs) We're like this, like, why? Why? And her and I are the two people in our family that wear glasses. I don't know how many times we played it, you know, but it was kind of like you'd get this, forgive me, Pastor Mel, and you'd go like this, and it'd be like, nope, that wasn't it. So <laughs> the next one, it's like, ah, oh, got it, you know, I hit pay dirt. And stupid, stupid kids, and you do it, and my sister and I both got glasses about the same age. Now, I don't know that that really caused it, um, but I never have forgiven my sister, but... Um, I, you know, I don't know whether that could possibly cause it or not, but this thing, it's been a whole lifetime of this, and I have prayed many times, God, heal my eyes. I, I look forward to that. When I get to heaven, man, I'm going to have x-ray vision. I'm going to, I'm expecting something extra. Our spiritual eyes need help to see things as they actually are, and there is help, especially God. It's not pleasant having things out of focus and not visible at all. It can even be dangerous, amen? And theologically, if we're talking about God and he's blurry or he's out of focus, we can stumble, we can make poor decisions or choices based on an incorrect view of who he is. I appreciate hearing things that help bring God into greater focus, into clearer focus, that that bring adjustment to how I view him. And through, you know, I've been in the church many years now and been serving in the church for years, and I've come across people at various times who were genuine and, and sincere and emotional and zealous who had some wonky ideas about God. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't take great pleasure in, you know, stomping out their idea that, you know, and well, sometimes it's like, okay, we'll, we'll fight this battle tomorrow. But bringing people along to say, you know, well, actually, no, God isn't like that. I don't want you to carry on thinking God is like this, that God's A-OK with my sin, or God is like that, or God's a monster, or God's just Santa Claus, or anything like this. I want to bring him into focus so that, because it's dangerous. If you believe like that, it can 
produce all kinds of bad fruit. Conversely, there is great advantage and blessing to seeing things accurately. So Paul prays and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you may know the hope of his calling. You may see his power. That You you will know these things so that when you stand in faith and say, my God's going to come through because this is what he's like. This is who he is. Those kinds of things. So in 2020, prioritize the few things that give us healthy spiritual sight. Things like this. I pick up the same old glasses now over the years. They've changed them. I now have what they call progressives. So because at times, you know, Rose would come up to me with her phone and say, oh, look at this. And it's like, no, those days are over. Okay, there. Now I can see. It's like it's, it changes. But I put on the same glasses every day. Is it routine? Yes, it is. Is there a problem with routine? Well, if it's a dead, lifeless routine... But if it's a life-giving routine like this, oh, no, now I can see, now I can drive, now I can do all kinds of things. Prioritize the few things that give you healthy spiritual sight. Who wants to see clearly in the Spirit? You want to see God as He is. You want a better view of Him, a magnified view of Him. I do. I don't want to stumble around with the same blurry, distorted perception of God. I want to see Him. And everything he's made more clearly. I want to see what he sees. I want to see things as he wants me to see them. If you don't like the word, words blurry and distorted because they sound too negative, we could just say we don't want an inaccurate or unclear view of God. Okay? And this matters because we want to know him more and love him more and do his will. Amen? In 2020, this theologian that I mentioned a few minutes ago who said um, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin from which we're saved. His name is J.I. Packer. Um, Dr. Packer uh, taught for over 40 years at Regent College. I don't know if he still is, but he taught systematic theology and a a number of things. And um, I had the pleasure of hearing him. I think he came to our church in Kitsilano back the last time would have probably been about 15 years ago he came maybe three or four times and I was always very honored that this man he's uh, been an Anglican for many years evangelical uh, Anglican uh, and he was happy to come to a charismatic church and uh, teach there he he was not at all uh, snobbish about that and he would come and in fact some of the things he would talk about I think it was Dr. Packer uh, who came and talked about <laughs> this does not sound like a, a systematic theologian a professor he talked about spiritual soaking now that sounds about as charismatic as anything I've ever heard but he came and talked about soaking in the presence of God in the love of God. Dr. Packer was asked recently, he's uh, well into his 90s, he was asked about good theology and bad theology because he's, you know, reputed as uh, one of the heavy hitters in our generation. And um, he was asked about good theology and bad theology, and he said this, I, I love this, He said that um, theology that focuses on the greatness of God and results in a deep 
life-transforming love for Christ is the theology that's good and right. He said, it isn't about knowing all of your systematics and having all of these answers. He said, again, you know, teaching in a seminary, and he's known in seminaries around the world. He said, having command of all of the theological facts and order and everything, and he, he believes in orthodoxy, theologically speaking. He said, having you know, command of all of those things doesn't mean you know God. You can have all of that and be completely dead. He said good theology and the theology that he wants to speak is the theology that presents God as great that makes people want to love Jesus. I thought, wow, I am open to receive from somebody who sees it like that. Just like Paul. I don't think he ever was teaching doctrine that was just for the sake of, whoa, man, we know stuff. It's like it always issued in the fruit of a transformed life. First off, a love for God. That's what he, I want that kind of vision, that kind of study, that kind of insight that turns my life around and makes me love God more. I, I, I don't want to say I'm an old man because, you know, in these, in these days, 61, you know, is the new 40, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, if I say I'm old, how is Pastor Mel, he's going to rebuke me later this week when I talk to him. Um, but 61, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm not young. I'm in the early part of my middle age. Um, <laughs> 61, I don't want to fiddle around. I don't want to just know stuff and be proud that I'm knowledgeable. I don't care. I want to know God. I need to know him. I want him to change me. I'm not satisfied with the guy that I am. I want change. I want the fruit of a holy life, of a, of a life in intimate union with Jesus. And I want it now. I want it in 2020. I want to take the steps and I want you to take them with me. I want us to be those kind of people. I, let's not waste our time just, you know, fiddling around with religious games or just being puffed up with, you know, knowledge or anything. Let's know him. Let's see him. I'm going to leave it to next week. I, I love this. Thank you, Ryan, for putting this together. How many have ever had one of these kind of tests? Probably a good number of us. Where, you know, they click and they say, uh, tell me which one is clearer. Click this one or this one, that one. And sometimes, if you've had one of these, it's really close, right? It's like, go back. I'm not sure. Go back. Well, I want to be fine-tuned. I want God to do that and help bring things into 
better focus for me so that he can get my prescription right. Nothing exotic. I don't need the exotic. Nothing we haven't heard before. The the prescription I want to give for better spiritual sight will start next week is stuff you've heard. And in this series of 2020 vision, I want to touch on a few things that I believe are the essentials for us being people who see spiritually so that we can know God better, who see what God wants us to see and fulfill his will. We can see where he's pointing us. Oh, there, okay, yes, I see it. Just like my physical sight is made better by the same old glasses, I want our spiritual sight to be made better by some of the same old things, but brought newly to us. So next week, we're going to talk about some of these things, and over these next few weeks, we'll talk about that. But today, let's respond. I don't want to just walk out and say, okay, we heard it, and forget. If we respond, we're more uh, likely to remember something. God loves to respond to us when we approach him with humility and faith. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't we do that? Amen? So, uh, we know we don't have all the answers and we know he does. So let's pray. Just pray with me if you would. God, I present myself to you. God, I present myself to you. I want vision. I want vision. I want the vision that comes from you. I want a, a clearer vision of you, Lord. I want to see you as you are. And know you better. And know your will. And walk in it. God, do the impossible in my life. Just like in this testimony. Father, I pray you'd answer these prayers for those in this room that we wouldn't just think of you as a God of the past who doesn't do those things anymore. God, we know you're the living God. Would you do these kinds of things in our midst? I pray you would help us uh, in terms of the things that will help us see more clearly, God. Uh, in the spirit, and then as Bernie has testified, God, what to do about it, God, that faith without works, you say, is dead. We don't want to be guilty of that, God. We want to see, believe you, trust you, and then carry it out. I pray that you would answer that prayer for each one in this room. And even now, God, show each of us how to respond to that uh, as we go from this place in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. I ask a blessing on each one, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.